Edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast, episode 128, because obviously she's OTA my league, out of my league. I didn't want to sing that too much, but there we go. I'm Matthew Turner, alongside co-host Ryan McCluskey. How you doing, man? I'm good, yeah. You shouldn't have had to explain it. People should have got that. But if you said so, we should have sung that. I'm guessing it's like the McFly song. Yeah, I'm reliably informed it's busted, but they're both as bad as each other, really. <laughs> but there we go. I, I think we got our highest viewership of the entirety of last year for the episode which had the OTA pun on there. I think I just put um, it's out of this world. But, you know, so I, I figured I it had worked. to go it on a theme. Works a lot of stuff. <laughs> right, we are going to do, as I've just said then, an OTA and minicamp episode. So we've now come to the end of rookie minicamp, OTAs, mandatory minicamp, uh, some really good stuff to go through but we do have some news as always uh but just want to give a shout out to everyone who's watching along live with us got bigger res and dan pask in the twitch chat saying hello early doors but if you've got any questions as we go through please do because not a huge episode coming up so if you want us to chat on anything then please do get those questions in as we go house to house 710 on the youtube chat as well just a bit of housekeeping to start off don't forget our discord channel please do get involved with that if you want to chat lines all year round, just DM us and we will get you in there. We've got the Cottage Football Podcast on a hiatus and will be coming back very, very shortly. Don't forget to like the episode, sub to the podcast, rate, review, all that good stuff. Download Lions Nation Unite as well. Our, our good guys over there doing all the great Lions content and Twitch affiliate, as everyone knows by now. If you've got a free Prime sub, please do throw it our way. We would really appreciate that. Frog Crop, Ken Stouder, Dan McInnes also in the building, and just you guys on the audio pod, we do not forget you, the lifeblood of what we do. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Let's start off with some news and another signing for the Lions. So obviously there was uh, the retirement of the big man, John Penasini, and with all the injuries that we've had in the tight end room, Ryan, we've actually ended up going for a tight end who knows the state of Michigan very, very well, in Devin Funches, the former second-round pick, formerly of Carolina and the Green Bay Packers. Um, there was a lot of hubbub about him coming. I think that we have a different opinion on what this might mean um, for the Lions compared to the consensus out there. But what do you feel on Devin Funches? Well, he was a tight end at Michigan. He converted to wide receiver at the NFL. And we're now asking him to go back to the position that he, he grew up with and knows best. Like I said, he's not played meaningful snaps for a good two years, let's say, but he's still also got a lot in the tank because, let's say, he's not old. Let's say he's only like 26, 27. He's been around the block a few times. He's a good body for camp. Let's say he's got the size, he's got the receiving skills, and he knows the team as well. So it feels very much like last chance saloon for him. But when you look at our tight end room, it's weak. It, 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 there's a lot of holes there, like say James Mitchell, probably won't see the field much this year coming off that uh, 
the ACL injury. And you've got likes of Derek Dees Jr., who is a project. Brock Wright came on at points last year, but he's still got stuff to work on. And you've got uh, Garrett, who may or may not take team, but primarily is a blocker. So if you look behind TJ, the depth, it's a bit of a minefield. Like I said, I can see us carrying three on the roster this year due to injury. I think we'll, we'll keep one of those spots open. So he's got as much as chance as anyone as making this team. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but he has got probably more experience than all of them combined currently. And if he's able to recapture any of that form and just put up two, three, four hundred yards, I'd be pleasantly surprised by him. So actually, you were kind of on the same lines as me. So I think a lot of people got carried away with it and there was some backlash of this is just a camp body. And I kind of come in somewhere in between here, much like you do by the sounds of it, you know, through injury, there's a real gap here for someone to take tight end three. Now, I know that we'll come on to this later, but Zilstra's been making a real push, uh, doing well through camp and Brock Wright perhaps not repping so well. Uh, Dees has not really been present. Um, there, there's room there for someone to come in and perform. And I mean, if you look at how he did, he didn't live up to his second round pick billing. But he wasn't unproductive at Carolina in his position. You know, more was more was thought of him. But in 2017, he went for 840 yards and eight touchdowns. I mean, you don't do that if you're a chump. Like, the guy's had some hard times, and he's a long shot for the roster. There's absolutely no doubt that he is not getting written in as tight end three right now. But does he have a shot? I, I think he probably has a sh- just as much of a shot as any of the UDFAs do to make over Brock Wright. I mean, Brock Wright, very athletic. But he had one one touchdown, and it was a good one. But he didn't really show much else. I'm high on him. But Funches's ceiling has to be higher, right? I mean, sort of a tweener maybe still needs to put on a little bit more weight. But he could do it. We've never really seen anyone of his body type kind of do it. You were kind of hoping that he might look like Jimmy Graham or something like that coming out and never really materialised. But... He's still, yeah, just turned 28, so there's time for him. Yeah. If you're not called TJ Hawkinson, you're currently our total one card to make the roster. Any of the tight ends, like I said, not a single one of them has currently earned a place. Even Brock Wright, after he showed flashes last year, he's still battling to make the roster. So he's got, if he comes in and he shows out, he's got to get a spot, or at very least, on the practice squad and he may not want to have to settle for that he may think he's better than that but I'd say 28 he's been out the year of the league he's been on practice squad for a year or two the clock is ticking like I said so he's, his time like I said he does not even want to consider next year USFL XFL because he would be a very high profile name he still thinks he's NFL calibre and I think it's a good destination for him like I said we've got capped expectations we're not going to ask the world of him like I say, he doesn't have to come in and to light up the scoreboard. He doesn't have to get up hundreds of yards. But if he's able to be consistent and stay on the field and be that possible second in line tight end or third guy, there's going to be very much a role for him. And I can't imagine he's hardly earning much money. He won't be counting much towards the cap at all, I imagine. I mean, I, the salary details haven't been revealed. I did just double check over the cap. Um, and it's been a little while since we signed him, so I'm surprised that hasn't come out yet. But if we're paying him more than the veteran minimum, I'd be very, very surprised. And at that value, could he turn up and 
be a menace in the red zone with that ability to kind of line up on the line and block a little bit and be able to release. I mean, it's not unlike Hawkinson, really, in terms of what the skill set brings. He could get you three or four touchdowns. Like I said, that, that's not unreasonable to ask in the red zone. And I think it'd be a very good return because I expect him to be on that 970,000 kind of bet minimum. That's where I expect his salary will be. And for me, that's worth a shot. Like I say, it's worth to just throw his hat in the ring because we could do a lot worse. There's some expensive Titans out there in the market. Like I say, there's people like say Dalton Schultz, like I say, he's still waiting for a deal. There's some high-profile names that haven't been picked up yet that we could have gone for, but they want to save the cap and give a guy, a hometown guy, a chance. So if he doesn't pan out, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Like I say, it's, it's a win-win situation. If he pans out and he has a good year and he makes the team, everyone wins. Everybody wins. Going to well, there's questions coming in, and that's really, really great. So we are going to get to them just after the end of the news. But Dan has just asked a question on him, and actually, Quirky Zerky quickly is just correcting me by saying that Brock Wright has two touchdowns last year and has a good chance of making practice squad instead of the main roster. Could well be right. But Dan asks, is Funches better as a tight end than wide receiver like he was in college? Do you think? that Funchess will end up being a better player that way? Do you see him more suited to that role? Or do you think he is a kind of big wide receiver? I think he's better at tight end because he's not he's not a field stretcher. He's more that Antonio Gates. I'd like to see him boxing out, playing that kind of point guard position like you would in the NBA, which makes him a threat in the red zone. He's not that fast, but he's got a good range. He's got good lengthy arms. He's got decent size, so short intermediate range is, is where you want to work him. So if you put him on the line, ask him to just fake a block or just chip a guy and then send him out on a five and in, five and out. He's very capable of doing that. Like I say, he is more than reliable and he's got reasonably good hands. So I think he can make tight end work even if he's lost that half a step of speed. Yeah, born in Detroit, Michigan, played at Michigan and now coming home Fingers crossed for Devin. Um, Dan says he's not sure that Devin would get to the practice squad. And Funchess apparently could make Cephas redundant, says Quirky Zerky. Uh, potentially could. I mean, if Benson continues on the way he's on. And we'll talk about that in a little bit too. Um, right, let's get to the rest of the news and then we'll address some of those questions. Lions have signed second round rookie Josh Pascal. All the draft picks are now under contract. Not released what the contract details are, but... I mean, these are all pretty much set in stone at this point, Ryan, so I don't think there's much to write home about here. It is worth noting, however, that the majority of second-round picks still aren't under contract, which I find surprising because it feels like a long time since the draft now. Well, yeah, it's been, been like six, it's been like seven weeks since the draft, something like that, I guess. That, that does seem like it's a slow time, and it's not like they're not, high-profile names as well. These are names you want to get tied down because you don't want to fall out with a second-round pick and then end up losing them. So you'd expect them to get tied down fairly quickly. All right. And the Lions front office changes that have been rumoured previously have now been made official. This includes the hiring of Brandon Sosner as the Senior Director of Football Administration and also the promotion of Mike Disner to Chief Operating Officer, which is... Some recognition for our cap expert with the work that he has done from the previous regime, held over, and now getting a promotion. And unlike, you know, previous 
changes to regimes that kind of just clear house. This this regime has seen very much to kind of want their own guys in, but also see fit to recognise people doing well. So Ben Johnson comes to mind, Hank Fraley comes to mind uh, in, on the coaching staff, and now Mike Disner in the front office, right? Yeah, they're certainly opening doors and they're not ruling out any one internal positions. Let's say if you can keep hold of your best staff by finding them credible sideways moves or promotion, if better, they're go you're going to retain the staff and they're going to create a good long-term working relationship. Like I say, it's fine. There's big names out there and people love to go and make the flashy external hire, but they don't always work out and they don't always work out and you might just upset someone in the building that had eyes for that job that decides, well, if I'm not appreciated here, I will go elsewhere also. So it it looks good as well to other people that see that we're internally promoting. Absolutely. And I mean, it is going to be increasingly interesting if we start actually poaching highly thought of candidates from other staff. So, I mean, right away, Do Staley came over for the same position you know, from the Eagles. And that was a coup at the time, but I don't think any of us expected that to happen and we didn't really know why. And now we see the fruits of what's going on. I think that sort of thing's going to be far more likely going forward. It does, it's great. And and I've always said for a long time as well, people just kind of like have these blinkers on, like dipping into the college market as well. It's fantastic. There's so many underrated guys there. Their recruiters are probably the best in pro sports. They're probably better than most pro NFL scouts because they see potential in kids. So if you're looking at recruitment, athletic director, stuff like that from the college game, you can mould them and you can grow them into them. Like the USC, a historic, fantastic program. Like their staff is so highly regarded in the sport and the game. Like that is a really good move for me. Yeah, absolutely. And final bit of uh, throwaway news. It was revealed a couple of days ago that Jared Goff did get engaged to his fiance, now fiance, Kristen Harper, on June the 16th. So congratulations to Jared. I think the, the wedding date is not too far away now. Uh, nice bit of news to end the roundup there. Let's get to some questions. Uh, what else did we have that I left out? Um, so Dan McGuinness wanted to ask how we line up as a defense in a 4-3. Um, people people actually kind of then replying and saying maybe we're going to have two linebackers instead of three on the field most of the time but we can address both of those things perhaps so what what would your starting seven be or six be on your four three or a four two five if i'm going to go with base four three then i'll probably have a i'll probably stick with brockers and mcneil right now unless levi emerges the way like say you can have hutchinson and probably charles harris is your bookends right now because of Quara looks away from being healthy if you go in at the backers i think i think malcolm rodriguez i think he's looking like a potential starter he's incredibly highly thought of and he's a very tenacious young man like i said alexander loney i'll probably start the year with the green dot so he'll, he'll be that central guy and then it's difficult for a third linebacker because i'm hoping that Derek barnes makes that jump but i do want someone maybe a bit bit stronger a bit bigger Let's say so you can see Julian right now as they say that strong outside linebacker. He he looks like he's gonna be trying to fend off the likes of uh, Houston, who is someone that's already so very creditable to the position. So that's probably like the base ball three right now for me. 
So I'm going with the same four for sure. I mean, I would definitely have Romeo over Charles Harris if fit. But like I say, I mean, who's to say how long that could be? Um, Pascal's going to be a way off, I think, actually. I, uh, the way that it's going at the moment, I would expect him to rep with the second team for the majority of the season, if not the entire season, and maybe even take a bit of a red shirt here. I mean, this injury, pesky as it is, lower extremity, may not even be that serious, but the amount that he's missing, just even, you know, so he's there kind of present and seeing things, but it's no alternative, like, he's missing so much. And we saw it with Levi last year, just kind of it hampers you, it sets you back. If you're a couple of weeks behind some of these guys, it's hard to claw that back. And if there's any guy that's going to do it, he will. Determined guy, three-year captain, you know, got all the sort of hard-nosed grit determination that you want. But even then, sometimes that might be too hard to overcome. So Pascal, I, I see being way off. But in the linebackers, I do think Chris Board is potentially my number one guy on the list. I mean, you have a look at what's being said about him waxing lyrical about his ability in coverage. I would probably have him over Alex Anzalone as my LB1. And then I think I'd be with you. I'd be with Malcolm Rodriguez as a kind of cover-hitting tandem. You know, Rodriguez, I kind of want to be my enforcer. And that sort of strong guy that can tackle. I know he's not big, but the way he just kind of can charge in, I'd hope that that could be my good tandem. If it's three, Anzalone's in there for me. But I don't really want him. I, I still don't. And I would rather kind of go with the Houstons and what have you. You got the fun, kind of funky fronts that we could have with um, a 3-4 and the outside linebackers could be some sort of hybrid of there being like Julian Aquara playing one of those roles or Hutchinson could do that or kick inside and then Houston fits in a lot better that way. But also you could be talking Jared Davis too can now fit in that sort of system. I see him fitting the 3-4 with the or 5-2 as we called it last year much better than, than anything else because he looks like his days are done at outside linebacker. Uh, inside linebacker, sorry. Yeah, up. yeah. It looks like he's going to get shoehorned out, and he's going to be those. He's going to be there after the quarterback. He, there's going to be those primary blitzing downs and uh, sending him through holes and stunting him, trying to get him in the backfield where you're being me and Prairie. Uh, chat coming back. Death Fan Man says. Don't Romeo and Charles Harris play opposite sides? I'm not actually sure whether in their natural fit they play opposite sides. But Romeo started as the right end last year. And then when he got injured, Harris replaced him as right end. So they can play in the same spot. But whether one prefers one over the other, I, I really don't know. Hutchinson, I can see moving everywhere. Like 9, 7, 5, 3... I don't think it's going to be a problem for him. I just don't see him at the nose. But Hutchinson can move, and you can get two other pass rushes on on there. So when when Romeo comes back, I don't know whether you could fit Romeo, Harris, and Hutchinson all in one in one front, especially on third and long. Yeah, probably not. No, you might leave yourself a big exposed. Like, say, if you're just going to deal a house, then maybe yeah, you sacrifice Brockers and you just you just send the whole house and send everyone up the middle. Like I said, that's when you want Pascal fit to get pressure from the interior. I could see, like, say, a, a Pascal, Hutchinson, and Aquara, and you'd have, like, someone over the nose tackle. Like I said, that would be your ideal, generating pressure from the inside. But I agree that Pascal, he's a long way off. This, this low extremity, is a, it's a big setback for his rookie year. Yeah. 
Uh, just the last one was, uh, what are you drinking tonight, guys? Says Dan, I am on the Cobra. Uh, had a curry last night, and the in-laws brought a bottle of it round, but I didn't finish it off, so that is mine. Uh, a crap cup of tea that's too milky. <laughs> there we go. I really hope that Levi can get some quick rotation or even be that starter. That's my one hope for that front four, is that Brockers is replaced quickly. I don't see Aleem falling out of the rotation anytime soon, but Levi looks jacked. He looks hungry. He looks like the player that we wanted this time last year. That's who I need. In an ideal world, yeah, Levi takes over and we can trade Brockers for the deadline. Quirky Zerky says he loves that Lance Newmark got a promotion, that he's just been awesome in the Inside the Den videos talking about the players coming in. He agrees that Ward would be that third linebacker and a six-wide front of Hutch, Julian, Romeo, Harris, Aleem and Levi would be amazing on blitzing downs as a NASCAR package. That sounds pretty hot to me. Oh, yeah, if you just want to collapse the pocket. If, let's say, a third or fourth down and you just want to get to the Carlson Mayhem, that would be pretty fun to unleash. All right, let's get into our main segment for today. And this is going to be interesting. So we're just going to kind of take this um, from from furthest away up until the most recent time. So we're going to start off at Rookie Minicamp all that time ago. And just the observations from that, we're going to come all the way forward until OTA week three, which happened last week, I think, finish off last week. So starting with Rookie Minicamp, uh, obviously, James, um, Jameson Williams and James Mitchell were out. We did find out at that time that James Houston was repping at linebacker, which Ryan Ewan and were adamant was going to happen rather than him repping edge. Pascal actually was playing at this time and was repping at defensive ends. There was some talk as to whether he might rep at D-tackle or defensive end. Hutchinson, Rodriguez both showing up early no surprises perhaps for you at least Ryan perhaps from others about where Houston was but Rodriguez being that guy you know comes as no surprise to you I think no I, I knew when I saw him picked like I said when he was there a few picks before I was like I want him like I said I, he is just he's an animal like I said he plays above his physical limitations like I said some of the smallest arms in like the league I say I think he had like the shortest arms in the draft, but to still be like one of the Oklahoma State record holders for like forced fumbles, that that tells you a lot that he can use those arms, he can punch a ball out, he can tackle, and he can overcome those minuscule, let's like say those, those physical limitations that it has won't hold him back, and I don't think they're going to hold him back at this next level either because to overcompensate for that. His, angle, his tackle angles are much better. He breaks down better. He prepares himself better and doesn't really need himself reaching out and trying to grasp at people as they go past him. So he is going to see lots of snaps this year. If he is healthy, he could be a big contributor very quick on his defence. He is ve- he is the definition of a very low risk and a very high reward. I just can't wait to see him. I'm so excited for it because we've been crying out for a linebacker who has his skill set for so long. Someone who, I don't know. I mean, that's sort of DeAndre Levy sort of role. Like, that's what I've been wanting for so long. And I, it's a lazy take, but similar-ish. 
kind of enforcer type going to impose his will on it, you know, the, um, like you say, forcing the fumbles and stuff. It's, it's a really bad comparison, but the feeling of it, the, the, the anticipation of it is kind of bad. Yeah, he got, he's a throwback to that Levy Tullock era, even to hear Whitehead, who was a tackle machine as well, just bloodhounds of a nose for the ball. Everything else is not that flashy. Moving on from rookie minicamp then into OTA week one. And the only breakdown I can find of all of this, obviously we weren't there because we're here in sunny England, um, is from the official sources, DetroitLions.com. Um, and so Mike and uh, and Tim have another look at what happened there. Another theme that's just going to come through all the way through is that Hutchinson is having a fantastic camp. And I mean, if you're picking someone like him at two that seemingly... A lot of people were disappointed that you end up picking him at two. I don't mean to say that people didn't want him given what happened in the draft. I mean to say your average second overall player in the draft is probably not going to be someone like Hutch. You would hope it to be a quarterback or a generational edge. He's not, as a lot of people wanted to say, Chase Young. So now coming into this camp, you are looking for him to absolutely light it up and it's going to be an ongoing theme in this little chat about the fact that he stacks exceptionally good days, sack after sack after sack. Oh, yeah. he. Uh, it's on, you get teething issues sometimes, especially, like I said, these young men that step up the game, but he's not shown many of them. Like I said, and people say he's not generational. Like The Lions like, were like 29th in sacks last year. Do we need a generational edge rusher right now? No, we don't. We just need someone that has got the tools to get the job done on a consistent basis. We don't need someone to come in and destroy the league like Miles Garrett. But if someone can come in and give us 10, 11 sacks, that will be that will help this defence come on a long way. And he, like I say, I saw the other days where they like where they played in like three positions and like maybe that's a bit much for him. Let's say we're going to scale it back, but like they did put him to like two. They kicked him at just like the five and the seven. And like suddenly, well, like he's like a beast. Like they say, he's like a, he's on terms now. The shackles have come off. They've kicked him out wide, let him do what he does best, which is rush the passer. And he's one of the standout guys straight away. Like I say, and he seems like he will get a captain's armband very quickly. He is a leader. He's a, one of those men among boys. He's one of those kind of leaders. And everyone is seeing his praises already. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's everything I wanted to see out of him. I'm, I'm quite high on what Hutch can do. I think that he can be the guy that people doubt that he can reach. We've spoken to people on this podcast before who've come in perhaps with a little bit of Michigan guys don't do it often from that sort of level in the pros. I think he could be the one to buck the trend. Maybe I'm a homer, but it could happen. So in this this OCA week, there was um, a day where Hutchinson got three consecutive sacks on David Blau. Had had they been playing live plays, obviously he was just kind of like touched. But you know that's really really encouraging to see. He you know beat undrafted guard Zane Obedi on that third play. But I think some of the first and second snaps of that were against bigger opposition. Um, also noted that Swift looks ripped coming out of this offseason. He's put on a heck of a lot of muscle, especially in that core and those arms. Uh, Harris looking to rep exclusively at cornerback now, with Iffy looking like he's actually transitioning towards safety, taking reps at both corner 
and safety, although it came out later actually, that safety is potentially the expectation here. Worrying news that Decker has a minor injury at this point, but he seems to come back later on through the process into weeks two and three. And also noted that much like last year, the coaches are getting properly feisty with each other on the sideline, jeering each other and kind of fostering a really sort of healthy but adversarial competition aspect to the training session, even without pads, right? Yeah. And like I said, we've seen, I've seen at least four head coaches now find £100,000 and losing a day of practice for unnecessary practice too rough. You don't need to. You don't need to break the rules to have a ruthless, aggressive thing. All you have to do is turn the offence and the defence against each other. Like I said, you just have to pick those virtual fights. And that starts with the coaches talking smack to each other. And that G's up the players. And it's never going to come to blows. You never feel like you'll see scraps because it ends on the field and it's left there as well. And it's really good to see that. If you can generate competition and aggressiveness in between each other and in between friends and teammates, uh, that will translate onto the field against opposition. When you can just untake the handbrake off and you can take everything you thought about that, I'd say it goes a long way because they may be friends, but you need to have everyone going 100%. I'd say you need to have players pissed off at each other. You are trying to upborn each other, I'd say talking to each other on the lines because that will foster a really good competition and Jack I've seen the picture Swift looks good the biceps are there as well let's say because he's, he's a short guy so I'd say you see it when he puts on that muscle and he packs on those pounds and that's my only real complaint that's been there like I say the, the lack of muscle and the lack of durability is something that can be overcome by just packing a little bit of muscle if he's able to take a bit more hit have a little bit more padding and cushion I think this year like I say, I, I think he could prove me wrong. He could have a huge year. Like I say, I've seen a lot of people drafting him really high in fantasy football. He's pretty high in the dynasty running back uh, things. I've seen him like three and four. I think he's going to probably prove me wrong this year, and I really hope he does. I have some caution about this with Swift. I'm taking the other angle of it. It's, it's one of those things where it's going to be a really, really kind of um, trying to get the right side of this. So... Swift, one of the worst running backs in the league between the tackles, but one of the, I think, second best or, or the best running off left tackle. Okay, so we know he's good at doing one thing and we know he's bad at doing another thing. So do we want to feed in more into what he's good at and avoid what he's bad at? Or do we try and combat what he's bad at and try and improve that? So obviously they've chosen the latter. My fear is that... Him running between the tackles isn't a weight or strength issue. It's a center of gravity kind of balance, contact balance issue, which may not be solved by bulking up. But by bulking up, he might actually be impacting on how elusive he is running off left tackle. Because the one thing we can rely on is him to get away from guys. And, you know, does this does this risk reducing how effective he could be i think that it could go either way i mean i totally buy what you're saying about you know he might be a bit more durable now and maybe he does get better at taking contact but i say there's a risk the other way too for me this offense this team can't succeed until we're able to run between the tackles 
And Jamal Williams, like I say, I'm, I don't think he'll be here next year. So someone has got to be able to get those second and third and threes. Someone has got to be able to just plough through the tackles and convert the downage. And if everyone wants Dundra Swift to be what everyone wants him to be, unfortunately, he's going to have to learn to overcome this issue. Like I say, you, you say it could be it could be a balance issue. It could be the weight of setting against the height. He does get bottled up and he doesn't make the right decisions. He can get swallowed up at times. For a second, I think eventually we're going to have to be able to use him or we're going to have to make him bump him down, running back to and make him that primary pass catching back down and just say, look, we tried. It don't work between the tackles. Let's draft a new running back. And I don't want it to get to that, even though I feel that's how it's going to be. I don't want it to be that. But I agree that if they force him, if they force feed in between the tackles and let's just say he does get hurt, Everyone is just going to look at the coaches and say, well, we told you so. You didn't play with strengths and you put him in harm's way. So I agree. It's it's a very finely balanced thing. Absolutely. And, I mean, we'll, I'll mention this a few times going through too, but apparently Will Harris sneakily is looking very, very comfortable as an outside cornerback. I mean, considering some of the depth that we've spoken about that we have at corner, you know, it may not be flashy at the top end, but there's a lot of people who can do a good job there. And he is repping with the ones and apparently doing quite well with it. Are you prepared this year to perhaps say the words that he might belong on this roster, maybe? Not just yet. I take cornerback playing camp with a pinch of salt because when you're going up against your own receivers, you know their tendencies, they know yours. I don't necessarily buy into what I see on the field with these matchups because they're, they're competition, they know each other very well. Like I say, I will I'll be willing to say that if he succeeds in pre-season. Like I have to see him in gameplay to be convinced. Mm. Now, when we're talking about say, cornerbacks and safeties, like I say, everyone was talking about Jeff moving to safety, but no one seemed to give much attention to if he's got that long, rangy body that could make a very solid addition on the back end. And the safety room is pretty weak, so I kind of like it. I can see him starting the season on the depth chart as an official safety. Because yeah. if you're ready for him with, like, say, uh, you've got Walker, you've got the Sean Elliott, and then you've got Kirby, and then you throw in there, I think that, that, that definitely does help. And it does leave another body at cornerback, let's say, because then you can probably get the likes of Jerry and AJ a little bit more snap time as well that they've probably earned if they're going to work on the slot and work their way out. So that may work best long term. Yep, definitely see that. Bigger as 70 asks, will the Lions for Swift this is have him try to prove his inside run game or do you think it's just something that will be added in to show the defense something? I think we both are saying that we want it to work as, as a between the tackles thing, right? We don't think this is just all for show. You know, it's got to work. If between the tackles, if we can't run the tackles between the ball this year, then you can expect that we'll be a running back will go in the first round next year. We will take someone like Bijan Robinson next year if we cannot run the ball between the tackles this year. Like I say, it, it's not for sure at all. It's the chink in his armour and it's got to be improved on. Moving on to OTA week two, and we've got a couple of observations from this one, which is really good. And it's the first 
mention we have of the quarterback play. And the first time that we can see, and not, not the only time that we see, Jared Goff looking great, making some really heads-up, tight window throws with zip into time, you know, leading the man. You know, you have a look at all the comparisons that people have said about where he was last year compared to where he is this year. Everyone kind of saying, yeah, well, it's a 17-game season. He had 11 bad games, 6 good games. So the averages say we're going to get the 11-game Jared Goff. And he comes out maybe looking a bit like 6-game Goff, end-of-the-season Goff. And if if you can flip the script and get 11 or 12 games of that and only 5 or 6 of the Goff that lacks in confidence, maybe this could be a season that you don't bite off so lightly. I, I, I'm, I'm convinced Goff can be a top 20 quarterback this year. And I think that that's not a wild thing. I think that's a very fair thing. If he finishes somewhere between like 17 and 20 as a top quarterback, that means the Lions could be at 500. Like I said, he, he could go a very long way to delivering. This year for him could be redemption. Like I said, this could be the year that he proves so many people wrong, including me last year. This time a year ago, me and others we, others, we were not high on him. We were like, we don't want him here. He's just a byproduct of what we had to do. Like I say, he's just here to stint on. But now there's people out there thinking, well, does he have a long-term future here? This is the year that's going to prove it. Could he throw for 3,500 yards, 20, 25 touchdowns? It's not beyond the realms of possibility anymore because he looks so much more comfortable. And I also think as well, getting rid of Anthony Lynn, those two, it was reported they were at loggerheads. They never that saw the eye to eye. He probably feels really comfortable with Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson. I see he probably has more faith in him and they've got a lot more faith in him. Like I say, I, with the additions as well, having a full off-season with Joffrey Reynolds that helped him last year. But he looks worlds apart. He looks like a totally different guy, like I say, the engagement. He's in a good place in his personal life right now. A year ago, there was a lot of turmoil. Like I say, the fallout with the McVeigh, how their relationship broke down, shipped to Detroit. He probably had doubts back, back in his mind. But right now, he can just play free-flowing football. You don't have to worry about any of that crap anymore. Yeah, 100%. I still am convinced he ain't going to be the guy when it's all said and done. I think that he's got enough in him that if he plays with the best version of himself all the time, that he would be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. We have seen him do it. But even at his best stretch of play, we haven't seen him play at the top of his game consistently even at his best, so uh, in his best stretch. So to ask him to come in and do that now, I think he is rich. I want a top 10 quarterback, and I'm not prepared to compromise on that. And if Goff comes in and does you know, top 15, then that's fantastic. That's really good. I fear that that means that we give him another deal. And I don't know if I want that. At the same time, I'm prepared to eat my words if it, if it comes good. I mean, those last five games, six games at the end of the year were really good. If he can do that over an 18-game stretch, I mean, the Lions are going to get in the playoffs. So let's see what happens. I'm prepared to be wrong, but I haven't seen enough just yet, despite everything that's been happening in camp so far. Um, it won't surprise anyone to hear that Tim Boyle has not had a good camp. This was his first particularly bad day. Through an interception to Kirby Joseph, one of his only good days apparently all the way through. 
Um, throws just seemed off. He was frustrated through behind a receiver, sacked twice in a four and out series. Um, several times we're going to mention as we go through that Boyle didn't have a good time of this. It's it's not encouraging for the fact that we did give him a deal at the end of last year. I don't know what they see in him. Nope. I am, I am totally fine with David Blau being the backup this year. And that pains me to say because that is not a good scenario for the Lions to be in. That's not a good situation for the Lions to be in, is it? If he is your backup, you cannot have got to go down at any point. But we have not seen anything of Tim Boyle that these Green Bay fans told us. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, just inconsistent, just needs a chance. He's got a laser arm. We, it just has not manifested. And he has been given enough time now. I say, we have seen enough of him. He cannot be quarterback to going to his camp. If we can save even a million dollars getting rid of him, I am fine getting rid of him. Like I said, because I do not see what he offers anymore. And let's just find some young kid to come in and be QB3 for a year, if needs be. I'd be all for that. I'd rather take a UDFA and just see what they have at this point, 100%. Uh, other notes from that day include... Uh, Will Harris with a really nice pass breakup. Um, let me find out where that note is. Made in diving breakup on a golf deep pass meant for Amon Ross and Brown. Got cheers from the sideline. And he made a similar PBU in an OCA practice uh, previously to that as well, apparently. Um, and Levi, this is the first note of him coming onto the field looking jacked up and, re- and uh, repping really, really well. I mean... The guy already looked like a specimen on tape at Washington, but to hear the fact that he's come in and done that is is really encouraging to me. He's taking the steps necessary, because if you didn't start hearing this now, you would fear for his future. And I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Ryan, you were saying that you you fear for his future already. Oh, yeah, I, this is a make or break year. There were people that really did not like this draft pick. There was people that weren't keen on it, like me. Like I said, he, he gets the benefit of the first year. But now, like I said, Brockers is now getting a bit long in the tooth. They're going to expect for him to come off the field, just play those occasional snaps in this year. So Levi is going to have to go in. He will have to go in and make his name, and he will have to stand up and be accounted for. And repay and show why he was taken in the second round as well. If it does not work out this year, in a healthy year, and he can't be out Brockers, and he can't get that playing time, I question how long the future is here. Like I say, he may get that grace third year, but with Austin Bryant and Deshaun Hand, we, we've given a lot of grace to defensive linemen and the interiors. Some of them have had too long here and have not shown that. And I don't. I think we're a bit more ruthless now. Not just going to keep kicking the can and to see if a guy comes good. So it's a massive year for him. And it's good to see that he's been working out with all that time off, that his head's been in the right place. Because if he'd have turned up to camp and been overweight, I would have got rid of him now. That would have just, I'd have just been like, he doesn't care, the head's gone. But no. So I, I want to see him. I want to see him on the field. Oh, good question from Depp Fan Man. I'll get to that just after we finish talking about this week. Some other comments in there this time. So that was from the official Lions uh, outfit, but from 
Pride of Detroit, they also mentioned Goff looking really good. But some new things here about the wide receivers and the boundary receivers looking really good, including uh, DJ Chark and Josh Reynolds looking really good. But interestingly, Khalif Raymond and Quinta Cephas getting some reps with the ones as well as the twos. So perhaps tipping their hand at this point who they thought was the better player. But you also see Trinity Benson looking good. And every time he makes a play, he's making a big song and dance and everything. But you know what? It means that people like us start talking about the fact that he's making a good play here and there. One other thing to come on to here is one other thing, two other things. Um, Jashon Cornell getting a sack and generally repping well, and Jared Davis repping as a Sam rather than an inside linebacker. So a lot to unpack there, but the main stuff is the wide receivers and uh, Jashon Cornell. The receiver room is going to be fascinating because there's sneakily quite a lot of talent now, and some people who played a key piece for us last year or got traded for or what have you will not make this team. No, I think if I had to say which player my second most excited to see this year behind Hutch is DJ Chark. I think he could be our leading receiver this year. He has got the tools. He has got the speed. He's also got a reputation. Like I say, he was no, he wasn't some scrub. He wasn't a bum in Jacksonville. He had a nasty injury where, like he fractured his ankle. But before that, he has been able to stretch the field. And I think with a happy Jared Goff, he could make DJ his number one target before Jameson returns. I think you could be looking at a thousand yard a year. And I think that'd be a great return on that one mil, 10 year, 10 mil that could that could look very cheap at the end of this year. And he could very well earn himself an extension. I'd like to see him stay if he does well. The rest of it, like I say, it's very much, it's a total free-for-all, isn't it? Which I think is great. Like mm. There's guys out there that are showing up Let's say we've all thought Cephas is a bit on the outside looking in, a bit worrying for his position. Let's say Kelly uh, Pimpleton, I've heard his name mentioned a lot as well. Benson, both probably at least one of them will make the roster and they won't probably land on the practice squad. Probably everyone is going to be on this team at some point this year. So there's a lot of healthy competition there right now. And I've seen people think, people think Amon Rye's probably going to do what he did last year and lead the team. I don't see it. We've got so many more mouths to feed now this year. I think he's gonna he's gonna have to fight a lot harder to get them reps and get them targets. I see and get himself open as well. He won't have it as easy as he did last year, where it was just a non-factor outside of him. He is gonna have to earn every rep and earn every down. So it, it's good. It's gonna breed some serious competition this year. The passing offense could be sneaky. Good. I mean, sneaky good. It could be very in-your-face good as well. I mean, if Hawkinson has something which resembled his second year rather than his first and the, the end of his third, if Amon Ra can do anything close to what he did for the last back end of last year, and if Williams can come back and hit the ground running, no pun intended, and as you say with DJ Chark, I mean, that's four options who can all be an absolute menace to the defence. We saw what Amon Ra did to people. You don't have to be big in stature or particularly fast to completely be a thorn in someone's side. And having to account for all those four on the field at one time is a prospect I absolutely relish. And then you've got someone like Josh Reynolds to come in as well. I mean, who did really well last year and has continued to start well this season. I mean, God, when we go five wide, are we going to have a running back on the field? Like... That's one thing that actually excites me, that there's a question that we might not have a running back. Will we have 
Will Hutchinson, not Hutchinson, will Hawkinson be on the field if we go five wide? Probably, but he might not be. We could actually have legit five wide receivers in a five wide receiver set. You will see a lot more empty sets this year with no back, and you'll see a lot more trips. You will see a lot more receivers bunched together. You'll see two stacked, one behind the other, to try uh, mislead the defence. And you will see trips on the other side where you do not know who's getting the ball. You'll see lots of flood schemes, lots of level schemes where you're breaking down. Someone goes shallow, someone goes post, someone goes corner. And like I say, it's going to be hard to account for everyone. Like I say, it's, people are going to seriously overlook this passing offence. They're going to overlook this massively. And we're going to slap someone in the face where Josh Reynolds tears off 60 yards downfield, but someone else in the middle has caught the ball and he's already taken off 50 yards. Like I say, and it's going to tie some defenders in knots. If you think they've had it easy in the past few years, where they probably have against simplistic, basic passing schemes in Detroit, that is probably going to change this year. And Ben Johnson is going to want to make for a name for himself. I think it all comes down to Goff, doesn't it? It all comes down to Goff. Because if you have a look at the culture of the mentality of those wide receivers that we're talking about, Chark's an incredibly hard worker and it doesn't get spoken of, but he really, really is. Jameson Williams is going to show some people what a wide receiver can do in terms of effort as well as ability. You already know that Amon Ra brings that juice. Hawkinson does too. Like all of those guys, in terms of what they're going to do on the field, they're going to leave it all out there. If Goff can hit his rhythm game one, we're not just going to be contending. We're not just going to be putting points up. We could blow some teams away legitimately. I, I know this is a bit cool, lady, but... It comes down to Goff, and can he actually put it up when when he needs to? Because that, that could oh, yeah. be a deciding factor. When we play teams like the Panthers and Giants, like say, I want to be dropping 40 on someone. Someone like Carolina, I want to smoke them. Like I, say, I want to make them. I want to embarrass someone. And I think we've now got the personnel to do that. Like I said, if that offensive line is healthy and it stays upright and it's a top 10 unit, I expect Jared Goff to take the ball by the horns and I want to see some deep shots. I want to see us opening up games with trick players and bombing it 60 hours downfield. Right, let's move it on now. That's the end of OTA Week 2. Let's move it on to mandatory minicamp. And first time that we get some input now from Jeff, the Riz Risden and Lionswire. And he hasn't been at camp before, so his observations are perhaps a little bit more um, basic, and uh, not, not in terms of what he's doing, but just because it's the first time he's there in procedural. But he immediately notes about Blau and Rodriguez having really sharp drills in the red zone drills, which uh, kind of dominated day one of minicamp. Trinity Benson again turns up with a really good day. So does Will Harris. And then Shane Zilstra starts to outperform Brock Wright at this point for tight end three, making a couple of good catches in space, running some good routes. It's a really interesting thing to hear, considering Zilstra came onto the team late last year, made the team, did okay, then had that horrific injury. I was convinced that that was his season done for this year. And he's already back and kind of, making someone who I had high hopes for this year maybe not look quite so good. I do think that Wright should be 
worrying about his position on this team because it ain't going to be a given. But interesting to hear that. So Blau had some up and downs all the way through, but probably slightly more ups, which is a really good thing to hear. And like we said earlier, Rodriguez once again, you know, took it from OCA week one all the way through now to mini camp, looking really, really sharp. Yeah, like I said, Blau, Blau is a good sister quarterback. And like I said, he knows the Lions in and out like the back of his hand. He can read the clipboard. He knows what he's seeing on the field. And he can come on and he can replicate. Like I said, is he flashy? No. Like I say, is he sexy? No. But he has shown that at times he can get the job done. Like I said, the arm is reasonably good. There's a level of accuracy there. He's better in short periods than extended long bursts. So in red zone, it doesn't surprise me to see him do well. I said, Shane Zilstra is a very nice surprise. I agree. When he shattered the kneecap, I thought, well, I don't know how long does that take a year to come back from? Does it need putting back together like Humpty Dumpty? Does it need gluing back together like a broken teacup? I'm amazed that he's back so soon. Like I say, he, he, he is someone that has got nothing to lose whatsoever, but a lot to gain because he knows deep down himself that this tight end room is weak and wide open. If he wants a roster spot, he can well go out there and take it. I worry that Brock Wright is going to rest on his laurels last year. I really hope he don't. I don't want him to think that that spot is in the bag because it's, it's him and a lot of rookies and guys who picked up off the street because he will get, he'll be in for a very rude awakening. Like I say, he does not want to find himself lying on the, rock, the practice squad. Like I say, he needs to show why he did what he did last year in short bursts on a more consistent against a better defence as well. Like I said, because he's going up against a better defence than he did last year on his own team, hopefully. So, not going to have things all his own way. So, he needs to pull his socks up. Yeah, absolutely he does. Uh, from Pride of Detroit, the first one of the things that they mention here is first day of mandatory minicamps, the first time the vets are back in the building unless they've been voluntarily being in the building. And this is the first time we hear that Bors has been repping at linebacker one alongside Alex Anzalone. So, you know, not really knowing which one is the leader in the clubhouse between those two, but they are the two that are repping in that place. And I have to admit when I first read that, that I was surprised just because special teams ace with the, um, with the Ravens comes in. He's had a couple of good plays on their defense, but really didn't see much attention on defense whatsoever. Now, we all know that defense is fearsome and really, really good. So maybe it's not a surprise he didn't make it there. But that lack of experience kind of had me saying maybe some people who spent time in this system are going to wrap ahead of him day one. But he comes in having had no other time in the building. And he's immediately in there as linebacker one over Barnes, over Rodriguez. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be surprised because he's really the only other not established vet, but just guy in that room who perhaps knows a bit of what he's doing is a bit more worldly, especially coming from that system. I don't know whether... Were you surprised hearing this initially? Yeah, I was, yeah, because there's the kind of always that stake where we saw it with Jerry. I mean, like, great special teamers usually don't make good football players. Usually, if you create special teams, it just does not translate to live player. Like I say, you're kind of pigeonholed into that position. And we've seen it now with Mike Ford, JRM, D Virgin, Miles Killebrew. 
like I say, we tried to make them football players and play every down and it just didn't work. But if the Ravens have missed a trick on him and didn't give him playing time that he may well have deserved, or he's just buried on a depth chart that had players like Patrick Queen and some real studs in Baltimore, that their loss is our gain. I say, if he can bring some experience and he looks like he's ready to step on the field and he's learned a thing or two, because he's been around the block right now, like, it could be a really pleasant surprise. Like I say, uh, Josh Woods, I say he wasn't that mm. experienced in Chicago, played a lot of special teams. And those four or five games last year, he looked pretty good at times as well, like you say. So there's guys out there that can be buried on that charts and just shooed into special teams that come to a place like Detroit see a hole that they think they can fill and suddenly find themselves being that that guy at the position. That's a linebacker, I've said before, he's my biggest worry. But it could also be the big the position that surprises me the most. Like I said, the, the, the bar for me is really low. So it could they could rise above and they could slap me across the face and say, well, you shouldn't have doubted us. 100%. Linebacker is one of those rooms that could be terrible and it could be really good and we just have absolutely no way of knowing until we see some live play. So I'm counting down the days until preseason gets here, man, and we can actually see something. Let's have a look at day two of mandatory minicamp now. And it's the first mention of Savion Smith at cornerback. So it was a day of a bit of a twos and threes on this day. See a couple of cornerbacks doing really well. Savion Smith and also Chase Lucas. Unfortunately, it's it's not the first time we'll see this, but Kirby Joseph struggling, thinking too much. You know, the athleticism is there, the ball skills are there, but he's catching himself trying to think, what's going on here? What alignment is this? Where are they going? Oh, shit, they're running at me. Like, it's not automatic for him yet. And until, until that happens, he's going to find himself buried in that depth chart. Yeah, a one-year real starter, like I said, uh, at the queue. So it's to be expected to have teething issues. Being a safety, like I say, and diagnosing everything you see in front of you, where everything goes at least like 20% faster and like maybe 30 miles an hour quicker, is probably very daunting. Like I say, a cornerback, defensive back is the hardest adjustment for me at any level. To go from college to pros at defensive back, you will get... You'll either sink or you'll swim. So I'm not surprised to see him, like I say, because he can't now just rely on that supreme athleticism and the ball skills, which you could have done. That They helped him very much at the Orange, but it's going to take a little bit more than that. So it's going to take a bit of time with him, but I'm still thinking that he's got where it takes. Just just needs to, the game to slow down from there. In the cornerback room, another room that is vastly wide open, like I say, Chase. Savion, who was on the practice squad last year, wasn't he? I think, yeah, yeah, he was around, like I said, last year, like Nickel Roder Coleman. So he had some good guys to learn off last year. Like I said, we are stacked with young corners again. Like I say, it's going to be a really, there's the, the, the veteran presence above them. He's still on like 27, 28. Like I said, there's no one out there that's that, that's that old. So it's certainly going to be fun to watch the corners compete against each other because that is another proper battle for playing time and any of them could emerge as that cornerback three between between Jeff and Armani. So it's going to be really fun to watch in pre-season because they're all going to get tons of playing time. Tons of playing time, but one guy potentially 
who's feeling the pressure at this point is last year's UDFA in starting middle corner, AJ Parker. He was struggling with the quickness of Khalil Pimpleton and Tom Kennedy. And that is not a sentence which is going to fill a lot of people with hope. Uh, I know that this time last year, we were talking about the fact that who's this guy? You know, he just transitioned from outside corner where he looked really bad to, to nickel and actually won the job at this point last year or kind of coming through this time last year. This time around, I think I, yeah. Sorry, I think I was. I think I was the only person that didn't put him on my fifty-three. I think, and I remember everyone going like, "Oh, Ryan, like, oh, why have you done this? That that's so bad." But I thought, like, I saw his play last year, and I just thought he has been shoved into a role he's not ready for, and he made the plays. Like, don't get me wrong, he was there. He got those tackles for loss, like three or four. He had a good year. He played really well. But then I thought, is he the long-term future at nickel cornerback? No, he's not. Is he going to struggle when the pressure starts to build, when people suddenly know who he is, when people are talking about him taking over that role full-time? Yes, he will. Like I say, and Cleef Raymond's very fast, but if you're struggling with Tom Kennedy, that is really worrying. No disrespect to Tom Kennedy, but he won't be on the team this year. There's no way I'm carrying him. I say he's not good enough, so... You should not be struggling with a part-time guy like him that is very limited athletically. So AJ is in a lot of trouble this year. Like I said, he can't... People want to see him on the team, but you can't just go off what you saw last year. Like I said, this is going to be a much different side and hopefully a lot healthier side. He's going to struggle to make the team. So everything... This is like his rookie year all over again. Yeah, it really is like his rookie year all over again. I mean, the thing is, you've got um, Mike Hughes coming in, who looks like he could play that role. You've got Will Harris, who played some time there last year. You've got um, Jerry uh, Jerry Jacobs, who could easily transition into that slot role. Jeff Akuda has been mentioned as someone who could play some time there. Ify Melifonwu could also play some time in that position. So you have a look at the reps he, he's going to take. If he doesn't win the starting job, he's going to be out because other people can back it up. You know, he isn't versatile enough to play safety or outside corner. But the other guys will play multiple positions. His lack of versatility means he needs to win the job, or I think he'll be on the practice squad. I was someone who joined you. I was pretty sure I was, but I just wanted to double check. Only two people out of the four of us voted for him to be on the roster, and he got in on a playoff. But I think me and you were aligned on this, thinking that he is he's in trouble. Um, looking at the rest of what happened on this particular day, Blau had a bad day and Boyle had a good day in a switch of fortunes from the previous day. Jashon Cornell had another sharp day, getting another sack. I think that makes his second or third in camp so far. Josh Johnson struggled at wide receiver as the only mention of his name that we see, although I note that in the, on the um, Detroit Lions podcast for Reddit, Riz actually said that he does not think that Josh Johnson will survive long, even on the 90-man. So that's a bit of a shame with a, a few people hoping, this podcast included, that he might be able to show up the rapid wide receiver from Tulsa, if I remember rightly. Um, otherwise, Craig Reynolds clearly repping at running back three and looking great doing it, producing highly with the absence of Swift and Williams from actually taking reps on this particular day at mandatory camp. So 
two-year deal for Reynolds, and while he's by no means safe given how much we're paying him, you would hope that he might be able to take a stranglehold on that RB3 job. More. I expect more of him. I want to see him take a stranglehold on RB2, because like I said, Jamal Williams won't be here next year, I don't think. Like I said, he's playing on this, this final year. Someone has got to emerge as that guy to replace him and do some of the short yardage and have those big plays between the tackles. And I want Craig to be that guy. So I want to see him eating into Jamal's snap count this year. So he is primed for a very big year. So it's good to see him getting the ball early and taking snaps while the, the veterans get eased in. Deshaun Cornell is a surprise. Like I say, it's a pleasant surprise. Like I say, when you look at how he started his time here, got picked in the draft, got suspended for PEDs, got an injury and you thought, well, he doesn't fit this uh, ethos we've got here. He won't last. Like I say, to, to have him still here on the team now is, is quite a big surprise. So to see him making plays comes with that big rap as well because like I say, he was in a higher state product. So he ain't no small fish. Like I say, he ain't from a small pond. Like I say, he's used to being on the big, big stage. So he's someone that might, possibly have something to play as a small part role rotational guy this year. So it's going to be interesting to see because this is his first real year. Like I say, he basically lost that whole year. So he's kind of starting again. So it's kind of interesting to see what he brings to Locker. Like I say, he's a pretty big guy. Like I say, he's, he's physical, he's long. So I, I'm kind of excited to see what he can bring to the table. He was another one of those guys who kind of just fell because of injury issues, but he was extremely productive when on the field in college. I know that he was as kind of similar to what we've heard before, or like you say, with Austin Bryant and other similar people to Sean Hands, who, you know, if he'd had an entirely healthy college career, might have been a first or second round pick, but because of what happens, he wounds up in round seven with us. And, you know, at the end of the day, he doesn't actually end up doing much for the first two years. I know that Ant is paying blood for him, you know, saying he's gone and there's no point here. So I'm, I'm sure he isn't actually saying that, but, you know, he's just kind of lost hope in him. But I really think that he's the guy who could make Brocker's job interesting. Because if Cornell starts playing at a consistently Suddenly you've got Levi, Pascal and Cornell who can all play that role. Do you then really need someone like Brock? As I know a lot said about his veteran voice in that room and that it's useful to bring players along. He's able to elite players, you know, the coaching side of it and whatever. But we ain't getting rid of Pascal. We ain't getting rid of Levi at this point. But Brock is is someone who could go. And I, I do think at the moment there's probably a fight between Cornell and um, Demetrius Taylor to make this roster and I think one of them will make it but at the end of the day which one of those is going to make it to the practice squad maybe both but if I had to take a swing on someone being picked up I'd say Cornell over over Demetrius Taylor so maybe that would kind of push me one way or the other on those two I think defensive tackle is it's a strong position I see even losing John there's still a lot of bodies there. Like I say, and there's guys as well that we see year in, year out that seem to rear the heads. Like I say, like uh, uh, Kevin Strong. There's no doubt at some point this year, probably gets picked up for a week. He's probably active. 
gets cut again or be around. Like you say, we always have those kind of bodies we keep as well. So there's there's, there's people out there. It, it's another strong defensive interior. Like I said, it's a lot of young guys that are clipping at the heels of a veteran who would probably be fine being released or being traded. It wouldn't hold it against anyone if they decided we want to go down the young route. No, it won't feel any pain towards it. Quirky Zerky has said Cornell will be DT4 with Aleem, Levi and Brockers if he stays healthy. Absolutely. Depends where you put Pascal. I really think his future is going to be a DT rather than defensive end, but that's just me. I don't know if anyone else is buying that. Dan had a question on Jamal Williams that I didn't address at the time. I want to come back to now. You were saying that it's unlikely we have him beyond this year, and he's just challenging on this point. Why can't we re-sign Jamal Williams? We can, but it, for me, it'll come down to money. Jamal Williams, let's say, he looks at the production and looks at himself, well, he won't stay here on a team-friendly deal because he's at that age now where he won't, he doesn't have any allegiances to Detroit. Sure, we picked him up and we gave him this nice two-year deal, but that don't mean if he has a good year that he'll agree to stay here on the cheap. He might be actually, no, I want to cash in. Like I said, if he's doing really well at the trade deadline, Jamal Williams is a big trade candidate as well. If someone goes down as a starting running back, a team that needs a running back, Jamal Williams could very much get the phone call with Craig Reynolds chipping in as well. So he also could be moved on mid-season as well. And I know people don't like to move players on, they don't like to trade the big names, but Jamal would be a guy to watch. If a Super Bowl contender lost RB1 before the deadline and they field the call, he'd probably want to move on. I mean, it's, it's a second-round pick. That you know you might get a comp comp sixth for if you get any comp picks at all. I expect the Lions to be buyers in this off coming off season, next off season, and not get any comp picks at all. So I'm not banking on comp picks. And I mean it depends where the Lions are too, right? If an RB one goes down and Swift hasn't shown he can run between the tackles, that puts the premium up on Williams, and I expect him to stay if we're in the hunt. But you know, if if we look like we're kind of meandering towards seven and ten or six and eleven or something, then yeah, absolutely, the people are going to be on the market for him. Um, I think it's one of those things. I have seen no indication from Jamal Williams that he is particularly motivated by money. That's the only thing I will say is he's he seems like he's here for the good vibes as much as anything. I think he wants to feel appreciated by a team. Now, obviously, some of that comes monetarily, but if he plays well and is offered a similar deal to what he's on right now, I don't necessarily see him turning it down. If he's in a productive situation where he enjoys the amount of snaps he's getting and he likes the culture, I could see a re-signing happen. But I think it's just unlikely. Like, the the value of running back is is depleted. We have... Swift, who's around for at least one more year after that. We've got um, the seventh-round rookie, Jamar Jefferson, who has played well when he's actually been given a shot. We have um, Greg Bell, who seems to be doing quite well in camp. He might make the practice squad and, and jump up. Craig Reynolds, you're hoping will take that RB2 spot. I'm hopeful of that as well. There's... It's not depth at his quality. I'm not going to say that there's depth at yeah. his quality, but the ability for them to improve and rep his ability through this season is definitely there. 
Yeah. It's not a position that I am throwing money at anymore. I said, because you just seen time and time again, teams get burned. If he asks for one year and $7 million, I'm not giving him it. I say, because that is one and a half, two million dollars more than we'll give him. And it sounds, it don't sound like a lot. It sounds like I'm being tight and short fisted, but I agree. I want to be a spender next year. I want to do a New England style. I want to go get some big ass names. So I want to say the caps are Jamel Williams. I will not be re-signing him unless he goes out this year and just blow Swift out law. And that could absolutely happen too. I'm not ruling that out either. Quirky Zerky has just uh, reminded me that his name isn't Netflix anymore. He's been upgraded to Hulu. And I'm sure Netflix execs all around the world are shaking their fists at... Um, was it Deuce who gave... I think it was Deuce who gave him that name. It's just hilarious to me. It's who, for the, our American friends, because we we don't get Hulu over here, we're obviously aware of what it is. It's where the Kardashians are. Um, but is it is it a premier service over Netflix? Let us know. Um, yeah. move For mine, I mean, no. No, <laughs> I didn't think so. I thought that was a weird thing to say. It was an upgrade, but hey. Um, just on the Pride of Detroit comments on this, Day two of, of mandatory minicamp, they note again that Hutchinson is doing the business and just looking all the part of the number two overall pick. Juju Hughes apparently had a really good day. Um, Rafika's nickelback, not Juju Hughes, um, Mike Hughes, sorry, as nickelback one over Parker. So this is the first time you see Parker falling down in the rotation. Joseph had another bad day, and Chase Lucas had his second good day in a row. So your guy from Arizona State, Ryan, making making a name for himself. Someone who, because the cornerback room is so young, and because he's going in as the rookie, but also the oldest man in the room, really needs to, you know, he's not the most athletic guy. He's coming in with this idea of he's, he's the older one, he's a bit more mature, and he's got coming in produced straight away to have a shot. And to his credit, he's doing that. Yeah, he can't rest. He doesn't get that benefit of the doubt of being young. Like I say, he played five and a half years in Arizona State. He used every bit of eligibility he had. Like I say, he went like 25 in like April. That is basically the oldest you can be to start your rookie deal. Like I say, so you have got to hit the ground running. Him and Jack Jones, the corner who the Patriots took, who is also fairly old from Arizona State, he's doing the job there as well, could replace JC Jackson. Like, I had so much hope and I knew these two guys would deliver because that level of maturity and all those games under their belt, they're just a little bit more savvy than some of these young guys. They've been there, they've done it, they've seen it. And it may have been the Pac-12 and it may not have been the most competitive conference, but they they carved out serious roles themselves and they know what their strengths are. They know what they're good at. They're not, not good at. Chase will not play outside corner because he doesn't want to have that big outside leverage because he's not big and strong. But he's physical and do the work. work. If you put a slot guy on him or a slower tight end, he can wrap him up, he can tackle him. He is built for that slot role. And I am very sure he'll make the team. And he's a really good learner. So it's good to see that he's slowly coming into his own. Uh, just been reliably informed by Quirky Zerky that Hulu has live sports in the US and that's why it's a step over, up over Netflix. That makes total sense. I have no idea 
what Hulu shows. I find it with Depp Fanman says, wait, no Hulu in the UK, no wonder VPN is so successful. You joke, but there's a real point in there. Netflix's US offering is completely different to the UK offering because of the US versus UK rights of things. So when I wanted to watch certain shows, I would be VPNing for the for the US version of Netflix to do that. And I guess I didn't even think about using that for Hulu, but would be interesting to see what's available on there. Um, but anyway, getting sidetracked with Lucas. Um, I'm really pulling for him. I think that Parker is always going to have it against him this year when what happened happened last year. But you bring in Mike Hughes as someone who's potentially going to start in that position. And then notwithstanding that and the fact that you already had a lot of bodies in that cornerback room, but you actually, you you give a draft pick to someone in that position. Like, does that not say that you're not exactly happy with what's going on there? Like, everyone knew Chase Lucas was a nickelback at the next level. His He was repping at VT, not VT, um, Arizona State, primarily at slot through his final year because they were specifically giving him time in a position that he might actually play in the NFL. That's what they came out and said. So they must have been aware that that's where he's being pigeonholed into. And they still picked him in AJ Parker's spot. I mean, maybe we should have seen this coming. Yeah, like I said, and I know people don't like it, but I do also feel slightly similar about Joe Jacobs. And I said when we did our 53, Joe Jacobs is not a lot to make team either. He has also got an uphill battle, like I said, because we knew what we had last year. And like I said, we didn't feel comfortable. So we went out there and we brought more cornerbacks in because we our healthiest. We didn't feel great about the position. For me right now, I penciled Mike Hughes in as that day one star of the nickel. He's just had his best year on day at Kansas City in that position. He played, he struggled at Vikings outside, but kicked inside and he saw production. I expect him to see production at the next level. Like I said, and then everyone else behind him is crapping, um, scrapping and clawing <laughs> to try to get the, uh, the, the when he takes players off this. So he, Jerry and AJ have got an awful lot of work to do this year. And I hate to say that, especially about Jerry, because he gave so much of himself to us. He played hurt. Like I say, and he's going for this rehab right now, and I'm pulling for them. But the NFL has very short memories. We've got to have short memories. They were great last year. It doesn't mean they can just start a mark for take snaps this year. That's not how it works, unfortunately. No, it really isn't. And if you have a look at that cornerback room, and when we predicted our 53, only one person gave a vote to Will Harris. No one gave a vote to Mark Gilbert. No one gave a vote to Savion Smith. No one gave a vote to Bobby Price. These are all people that are going to have a look in this year as well. So the competition isn't just coming from these high-value guys that we're talking about right now, but it's all the way down. These guys are going to be competing for positions. There's going to be people who might not make the practice squad, who will make 53-man rosters in other teams. Jeff Risden specifically said that he thought the Savion Smith would start an NFL game for another team this year if he doesn't make the three on the lines like that's a big statement for someone like that you know so corner's one of those sneaky deep rooms that we have i guarantee we'll get rid of a handful of guys this year that don't clear waivers don't revert to the practice squad and they go on to play at least 10 games elsewhere and that it'll just be another real case of frustration let's say like we passed on them 
and they went and they did a job somewhere else. It happens every single year, and it'll be it will be the cornerbacks. It will be the cornerbacks. All right, moving on to the final day of mandatory minicamp. What do we got? Uh, Jared Goff having another really really good day. Um, Jeff Risden notes that. There's a lot more pre-snap motion involved in this offense right now, and Goff looks very comfortable with it. I don't think we should be that surprised by that, because pre-snap motion and air raid offense was what Cal was about, right, in college. You know, that is what his offense looked like. And if, as has been mentioned by offensive coordinator, pass game coordinator, head coach, that they have gone back to... Jared Goff's history and trying to tailor the offense to what he's good at, pre-snap motion should not surprise anyone. No, and bringing it back and then look at the recruitment as well. Trinity Benson will flourish in an RPO offense or pre-snap motions, a jet sweep, let's say things like that where you take the slot, you move them across the offensive line, you make the defense move, and then you go right back at them. Like I said, that is what Jared Goff's bread and butter will be. When you unsettle a defense before the snap and you get fast guys, the ball in the hands that are already moving and he doesn't have to think too quickly about what he's doing or he already knows where he wants to go, that is how it'll time. Like I said, like everything last year was too slow. Like I said, the players did not get to the field quick enough. We did not get to the ball out the hands quick enough. And then players did not develop quick enough. So now everything has to be at tempo. I say it's still got to be simple, but we've got to get the tempo right. And that'll start, like I say, and you will see motioning when everyone's a unit, those false start penalties, they will cut down as well. I say we'll see people on the field getting the ball in the hands. I say Jameson Williams, this will work wonders for him because this is all about his game, his movement, confusing defences and taking strikes across the field, dragging defenders away from where they want to be. And it's going to be a really big part of the offense. Amon Ra, Khalil Pimpleton, those smaller, faster guys, you will see them shifting all over. Like I say, you'll get them moving around to running back. Like I say, there'll be trick players, which opens up the whole playbook as well. Like I say, when you motion offense and the defense thinks they're not going to see, that's when you see trick players. You'll get flea flickers. You'll get things like that. A lot of tunnel screens where you get big guys out and blocking them because you have pre-motion screens. It's going to be the new look offense this year. Things are going to be probably quite a lot different. Very different, and I can't wait to see it. I know one of the things that we were talking about for the first half of last year was, I thought Amon Ra was going to be doing jet sweeps. Why aren't we doing trickery with him? That's what he's come for. So the fact that this is on the table now is really exciting to me. Um, other notes from this day, uh, Juju Hughes is looking great as well. Demetrius Taylor and Khalil Pimpleton did really well. And Blau also had another day where he repped better than Tim Boyle, writing for me on the wall with Tim Boyle at this point. But the first note here about Demetrius Taylor, and I mentioned before about the fact that he is in that conversation at DT. I know that I know that Ant is super high on him and, and you're quite high on him as well. He's another guy who's this sort of like tweener, right? You know, he's he's not going to be a natural nose. And now Penasini is gone. Yeah, sure, I buy him at DT, but I do worry that there isn't really someone who can come in and replace Aline McNeil. If we do play some 3-4 uh, three, or kind of 
335 or something to that effect. Who can anyone really play this no sack position apart from Aline right now? No. I don't think we have an air apparent or a backup nose tackle right now. No one that I would feel comfortable propping up an offensive line. Like I said that that is a worry. That is the only gaping hole that John has left behind. Like I said you would probably shoehorn Brock as inside right now instead of giving it to Demetrius Taylor. Like I said, that, that would be a big worry to me. All right. Uh, so that ends... Uh, well, oh. but, uh, we did bring in, uh, I think, Kaminsky. Would he be the backup nose tackle right now, that John Kaminsky we brought in? I think he's had experience playing there with the Falcons. Yeah, I think you're right. But again, he's another guy that I think is super athletic and a bit tweenery. I don't, I don't see him as a pure nose either. I think the thing I saw about him is he can line pretty much up anywhere on the line. But I don't really see that as an aspect I want in a nose tackle. Like, I want my nose tackle to be a bloody nose tackle. Like, they need to be these big, stout, almost fat guys who can just eat up blocks and... Uh, you know, ensure that pockets kind of slightly collapse, hold it, hold on to it and kind of be able to release on time and allow people around him to to really kind of do the easy job of trying to get to the quarterback comparison to, to that. And I just don't see Kaminsky being that guy. I mean, I think Kaminsky is in that rotation alongside everyone else that we've been talking about at the three tech positions, which is absolutely fine in a four man front or you know, there's a position for it in four-man under or over, although maybe it's a bit more one-tech, but I don't know. It's a weird one. It's not something I see from him, um, but could easily be wrong. And I mean, it is the modern trend now in the college game and increasingly more in the NFL to play players who wouldn't naturally be suited to this sort of one-tech, zero-tech alignment as these athletic, smaller guys, I guess. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's going to be a worry. Like, I, I just hope we don't have to think about it too much. Let's never have to go to a three-man front and not have a Lee McNeil available. That, I mean, that worries me. Yeah. Oh, let's let's ring Danny. What's Danny Shelton doing these days? Because that's oh, the player you just... You, you literally just described Shelton. I did. Is he retired? Let's bring him out as a backup. No, no, I mean, he, I'm pretty sure he's a free agent. I'm fairly sure he is. Um. Dan says, can Deshaun Cornell back, back up Aline? I mean, he can, but Cornell, if I remember rightly, is 6'3", 290. Like, he can do it with that frame, but you'd much rather see him be 6'1", 6'2", 320. You know, like, there's some weight missing there, and he could do it. There's absolutely no problem with him doing that role, but is he providing... So my worry isn't about anything at the kind of opposition end of the field or at midfield or anything like that. It's who's who's taking the absolute center of the defense in goal line situations. Like if you think about it in terms of scenarios and situations rather than just four man fronts and three man runs, everything becomes a lot more clear. In our goal line defense last year, we quite often played Aline McNeil and John Penasini as the defensive tackles because that meant that you couldn't run it through the middle very easily when it came to goal line defense. You're on second and one at the one. Don't try running it there. But now one of those guys is gone, and there's a bit of risk that the other one could get injured at some point. And then what the hell are you doing there? Like, 
it seems to me a big hole in the roster. And actually, we do need to address it. And you joke about Danny Shelton, and I don't want that to happen. But it's the sort of move that you could see happen if he's got the right attitude. It's all about culture fit, as we've always seen with these guys. But it's a massive hole to me. Yeah, so big fat, big fat guys that can swallow up tackles need need a ply below. That's, we need one here. Dan has just chipped in with, does a backup nose tackle justify a roster spot on that alone? I will say to you that John Penasini is just a nose tackle alone, and he got the spot on that alone in 2020 and 2021. Now, this is a different roster, and it has a lot more talent going for it. So it's not comparing apples with apples, but I would say that this, this front office does value that as a position, in my opinion. So, yeah, they'll often pick up injuries and just a stinger where they have to take a play out. You've got to need someone that knows how to anchor a defensive line and someone that can tell people when to shift over. If an offensive line sees a new nose tackle come in, you know they instantly will change the play call. They will shift instantly one way or the other and they will totally throw a team off. I know there's not teams that we're facing this year unless we do exceptionally well, but... Can you imagine with Noah Lee McNeil going up against a team like Indianapolis, going up against a team like Baltimore, going up against a team like, um, I was going to say the Rams, but that isn't really applicable anymore. Teams that just have a really good offensive line and a really good running back. What, especially Jonathan, the tackles, what are you going to do? Jonathan Taylor would absolutely maul us if we didn't have enough tackling. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things. Dan says John was a near roster bubble candidate after the switch to four man fronts. Yeah, absolutely right. He was. It's one of those difficult things, but I would have backed him to have made it because at the end of the day, so you say at the end of the day too many times, I'm going to annoy myself. Excuse me for that. Um, we're looking at playing something like 4 3 under as our starting base defense, potentially. And a 4-3 under is going to see what um, a 9, a 5, a 1... Uh, no, get this right. A 9, a 5, a 1, and a 5? Does that work? 9, 4, 1, and 5? Something like that. Um, that's going to necessitate someone being able to play the one tag. And I know that it says we're transitioning to a four-man front. I still very much believe three-man fronts aren't going to be a thing. It's just going to be 10% of the time, 15% of the time. But we're going to be able to want to do that in situations. And I, I just feel like it's an important position. Quirky Zerky says, Penasini couldn't penetrate the line while even Brockers can. Agree to disagree on Michael Brockers. Um, but there we go. Takeaways from that week in minicamp uh, was that Board was really impressive in coverage that was the only unique thing i saw in there but board repping exceptionally well at linebacker moving on finally to oca week three vets were excused from this but two did turn up anyway in deandre swift which came as a surprise given how endurable running backs are and penne Sewell was also there trying to get some reps in no other vet of note i could see was present and once again Malcolm Rodriguez gets rave reviews from Coach Shep and Lucas having another good week to finish up camp. Uh, at the end of the day, there's some very, very, at the end of the day, 
Oh, dear Lord. Sorry. Um, <laughs> there's some very clear winners in this overall off-season stretch. It's still only early and there's a long way to go. But for me, Rodriguez has to be out there as someone who's really won in this process. Chase Lucas has to be someone who's really elevated his stock. I would say that Board has also done really well. Benson has come out of absolutely nowhere to be viable. I think we all thought that he was like wide receiver 10 at this point, and he's kind of come up into that sort of spot where he could he could make it. Blau, I would say, has really put himself in the quarterback two situation. And just generally, the wide receiver room as well, I think, have done really, really well. Finally, Jared Goff has had the camp that we thought he would. I say finally, Hutchinson is Hutchinson that we thought he would be. Uh, what do you think, Ryan? Who's what? What's happened for you with camp? Who, what are you happy about? What are you sad about? What do you want to see from the rest of this off-season program? Uh, like I say, I, I think it's it's easy to see who the losers are. Like I say, I'll go with that straight away. Like I say, Tim Boyle, big loser. I'd say Brock Wright is definitely a big loser as well. Like he's fallen back to the pack, unfortunately. Like I say, and then he got uh, got Jerry and AJ. They're they're also getting swallowed back up into that group as well. So there's there's some definitive losers there. But like I said, the the, the clear winners. Like I say, Malcolm Rodriguez, one of the biggest winners. And like uh, Bard, the linebacker group in general has probably surpassed expectations so far. Uh, Jashon Cornell, like I say, getting more playing time, getting more reps at that. Uh, that interior defensive line. Uh, Pascal, not his fault, but he's a big loser as well. Like, so he's he's falling behind. Like I say, he's going to have to do a lot of homework and catch up, but we don't know when that's going to be or how long this injury is going to be. It could be one of those years where he just kind of write off as, like I say, that, that real theoretical red shirt. So it seems like I say I want to see. Swift, that, that's going to be one of the keynotes to watch right there. The camps and the preseason as well. How how just heavy we're running the ball, what the percentage is running between the tackles, what is it passes outside of the uh, the the lines, getting in, getting into run routes, like what kind of shift and balance between pass run? Are they going to try and lean on him a little bit more? They're going to let him do what he does best against even their wishes. So it's going to be interesting to see. And then let's say Reynolds got snapping at the heels of like severe. Williams and the forgotten man, Jamar Jefferson. Like he's gonna have to at some point, because we've not really heard his name called, and that's sad and kind of worrying. I'm hoping in preseason he's just gonna emerge because we're not gonna carry so many backs this year. He needs to he needs to put his stamp on his claim now. So he's someone that I want to see more from. All right, that, that brings to the end our, our chat on this off-season program. If you guys have any questions or if you just want to get in at the end, here's your chance. I will just kind of go through the end little bits here. Uh, actually, Ryan, do you have anything you want to get off your chest just before we kind of wrap things up here? Uh, I think I'm getting some off my chest. I think I'm going to swallow my pride and admit that maybe... Trinity Benson is going to make the 53. I don't know. I absolutely hated that and I detested it. Maybe Brad Holmes was right. And maybe that fifth and seventh was a pick. Maybe he's going to contribute in some factor this year. And I kind of hope he does. I said, because I was so adamant against it. And last year looked like such a write off. He looked like a total throwaway. 
to hear his name called is is important. Like I say it says a lot about we we didn't just throw away capital that's seen as throwaway picks on a guy that can't make any impact here whatsoever. And Gareth Davis is the one player I'm still oming and iron on. I said that I think I'm just gonna have to get over the previous stint here and just accept that maybe now he's a totally different guy and they see something in him that we've never seen. He could be the one player that makes me look really stupid this year. He could literally just dispel everything I've said about him. Could be. It could be. Um, Dan asks, what are your favourite camp battles coming up? Why don't you pick pick one? What is is your favourite camp battle coming up? Because you picked a load of people who won, a load of people who lost, and a lot of them are kind of tit for tat. Well, this guy had a good time so this guy had a bad time or or both had a good and bad time i don't know but what's the one that's closest for you or you're most excited to see i think the one you've probably got to all the closest is like so you've got you've got quinta cephas versus trinity benson versus khalif raymond they can't all make the team and they don't all offer the same thing you have to weigh up is special teams a factor worth keeping raymond for even though we just gave him that short little bit of money like i said one of them is going to have to emerge. Quintus Cephas, if he wants that crown back as wide receiver four, he has got a really long way to go, weren't it? Those guys are going to be really, one of them is probably going to be a really big factor in the offence this year. Like I say, while people are getting healthy, while people are learning the playbook, because they've all been here before. So they've certainly, they're not slouches and they're all, they're all basically veterans now. So those are the guys I'm watching for that wide receiver depth. Do we carry six? Do we carry seven? He's going to come down. They're going to decide that either way. It'll be up to them to decide how many we carry. Uh, Dan says, it's great to look stupid when the Lions play great. That is an excellent, excellent point. Um, I think the linebacker one is the one for me, just because at this point, we're being assured that Alex Anzalone isn't even assured a place on the team at this point. He's repping with the ones and apparently that's just based on seniority and familiarity. So they ain't saying he's going to be here now. I fully expect him to be. But when you hear how well Sean Dion Hamilton did through camp last year and the fact he was LB1 potentially at some points. You've got Josh Woods that you mentioned, Malcolm Rodriguez, Derek Barnes, Alex Anzalone, Chris Ward. That is an absolute mess of a room where pretty much any four of those six I think could could come good. And then underneath that, you've got Anthony Pittman and Natrez Patrick, who could do something. So it's one that's the most up in the air for me, but also the one that could be the most transformative. I know that linebackers are maligned because the the value of the position is low. But what people miss in that analysis is the value of the linebacker position is low because the difficulty of playing it is high. And what that means is most people look bad doing it, so it doesn't really matter who you have there. The difference being that if someone actually comes good for you, it completely transforms what you can do. And I guess I'm pinning my hopes on Chris Board and Malcolm Rodriguez for that, because Anzalone's ceiling is right where he is. Derek Barnes, I'm worried. Yeah, I'm worried about Derek Barnes. Now I need, we need to see improvement this year. He has got to show a lot more this year. If he struggles this year, you can it's like hangman. You got the B, you've got the U, you've got the S, because we did trade up from don't forget, like I say, it may have been like a fourth rounder, but 
we gave up capital to go and get him and he would have still been there. So they've put an awful lot of faith in him. Yeah. I just worry, is it all too big for him? Is it, is it too big for him, this role? that They were going to shoehorn him into a starting role and it could be detrimental to him. So he is someone that has got to prove a lot of people wrong because there was some ugly play last year and he does not get that grace period this year. He's going to have to fix some of those errors. 110%. Uh, that's all of the questions done with. So just go through the socials. We're all the lines UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You'll find us with that name on all those places. And don't forget the group as well, which is called Detroit Lions Fans UK One Pride Worldwide, run by our very own Ryan Farden, who is on safari in Kenya right now, scouting out the real Lions. If you want to have a good look at what he's up to out there, do go ahead and join that group. Otherwise, articles on RoarOfTheLionsUK.com. Please don't forget to like the episode, subscribe, rate us five stars, give us some constructive feedback if you have to. Email address is on our YouTube channel if you want to get in touch, or just DM us or tweet at us on Twitter. That would be absolutely fantastic. We'd love to hear from you. Just remains for me to thank all the listeners, all the guys been chatting along live with us. To my co-host Ryan McCluskey, thank you for being here, my man, and chatting me through all of this. My name is Matthew Turner, and we'll see you next week on the Royal CK Podcast. Let's go, Lions! One pride. One pride.